0: morning church, can you hear me now? All right, helps if you turn it on. Hey, well I am so glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Brad Doherty, like I said earlier, I'm one of the pastors on staff here and I have the privilege of opening God's word with you this morning, and so uh, we're gonna have a good time together. I wanna say I have uh, been here for about seven years now. I oversee our uh, operations, so finance, facilities, communication, staffing, that kind of stuff. And so uh, this is not the seat that I normally am in, um, but I am grateful to Pastor Todd for the opportunity to come uh, today and get to speak with you. Um, working alongside him and to have him as my pastor is one of the greatest joys uh, of my life. I love to serve along alongside him, and he is an encourager, he is a brother, and I'm so grateful uh, for his leadership uh, here at New Beginnings. Are you? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm uh, excited to be with you today. Last week he spoke, uh, and Pastor Matt on our Gilmer campus gave us some encouragement. We used this illustration of when we're holding tightly onto everything that we have, it is very difficult to be open-handed, that this is an exhausting posture, and that this is a freeing posture, right? That when uh, we live with a closed heart and closed fists, this leads us to a place of brokenness and a false sense of security that can lead us into a dark place. And I know my toes were stepped on all last week, and so my hope is to continue to step on toes this week, all right? That's the goal. We're going to continue in this I Give series, and we're going to look at what Scripture points. To in regards to practical tools, practical tips and things when it comes to living a generous lifestyle. And so I'm gonna invite you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. We're gonna be in verses one through nine this morning. So join me there. And while you're turning there, I'll do a quick introduction. Uh, I am married to Stephanie. We just had our 10th anniversary. Um, And so uh, that's awesome. And uh, what I will say is that I know that she is everyone's favorite and how I know that is because you tell me. Uh, In fact, I think that it's pretty clear that I am expendable as long as she and the rest of my family stay around. So I appreciate your continued uh, encouragement in that area. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, A few weeks ago, we added our Eleanor Dawn to the family. So she is about six weeks old now. We call her Nora, and she is such a joy in our family. And then we have uh, two big brothers there, all right? So I have Henry, who just turned two, and James, who is about to turn five years old, and they're the best big brothers that a little sister could ask for. Uh, we were talking about it the other day and I, I thought up of a, a picture to just give an example of their personalities. So here it is. When uh, Nora's heart is first broken, which obviously not looking for that day, there's gonna be two very different responses from her brothers. James, the older, is gonna be sitting with her on the couch, holding her, empathetic with her, helping her to process what she's feeling and, and you know, being, crying with her in the process while Henry, my two-year-old, is rounding up the boys to burn someone's house down. So those are the two different personalities that are going on with those boys, but they are so much fun. I will leave it to your imagination on which side of that situation I will be on. All right, with that being said, I hope you. uh, we were working with uh, James on riding his bike, all right? This is kind of one of those rite of passage things for a little boy. And so we were at the Paul Borman Trail. We're we're going up and down there and there was some weeping and gnashing of teeth, yelling, throwing things, crying. And that was just me, uh, you know, me and Stephanie. James cried a couple times too. And so uh, if you've seen us out there, I apologize for what you're seeing. But what I would say is that there is a universal tool that is regularly used in training someone to ride a bike, all right, and that is called Training wheels, all right? So what are are the purpose of training wheels? Training wheels are for the purpose of orienting the bike in a proper direction and taking some of the variables off the table for you to be able to learn, all right? So think about it, when you're riding a bike, um, when you learned how to ride a bike, You gotta deal with handlebars, you gotta deal with your balance, you gotta deal with making sure that your wheels are going forward, that you don't push backwards because that might be a break and you might fall over, right? You've got all of these things to think about, making sure you have your head up, you're going down the trail, and what the training wheels do is simply orients you properly on the bike to make sure that you can take one of those variables off of the table and you can focus on learning the others. But remember, the idea of training wheels is to be a temporary help along the way. It's never meant to be there permanently, all right? You're gonna be shocked by this, but I would not consider myself an elite athlete. But I have done a few races, some little triathlons and things like that. I enjoy riding a bike, but never have I shown up to one of those events and seen a grown man pull up on a bike like this with training wheels on it. It'd be kind of silly, right? It's a temporary thing that helps to orient our bike. It's not meant to be a long lasting thing. It's meant to be taken off once you get used to it and know what you're doing, all right? Very quickly, the thing that's meant to help you will become a hindrance if we don't let it get out of the way, right? And so today we're gonna be talking about how giving and generosity are a lot like riding a bike and how God has given us some practical tools and encouragement to get us there in the tithe, considering the tithe, the training wheels of generosity. So I hope you had time to get to 2 Corinthians. If you are there, would you say the Bible is true? All right, let's open God's word. 2 Corinthians 8:1. it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and above of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Would you pray with me? God, I am grateful for your word. I pray that as we dive into this passage that you would speak through me. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, every person in this room and watching online would hear what you have for them today. God, I pray that you would lead us, that you would convict us, that you would draw us near to you and to one another as we go about opening your word together. We love you, we praise you, and I pray that you would move in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I have four truths that I wanna share with you today that we see in this passage. The first is this, generosity is a posture, not an amount, all right? Generosity is a posture, not an amount. Let's look at verse one again. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part." This is so interesting, this is an equation that doesn't make sense in our day and time, right? We have severe affliction, we have extreme poverty, and those two things together added up equal to abundant joy and overflowing wealth of generosity. This simply doesn't make sense. This is an equation that doesn't add up. But then we remember that there's a missing variable we see in verse 1, and that is the grace of God. So severe affliction and extreme poverty overflowed in abundant joy and wealth of generosity because of the grace of God. We see that in verse 1. For in Mark 12:44 This passage is pointing there. It's the situation where Jesus is in the temple with the disciples and there are uh, rich people, there are Pharisees, and they are all touting their wealth. They're coming in with these large gifts and they're they're putting them in the offering basket, if you will, and then ultimately this, this widow comes in, puts two small coins and steps away, not touting her wealth or anything, and Jesus points it out and says, only one person in this scenario here has been generous. And it's the widow who gave everything. You see that in 1244. It says this, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus in this moment calls out the rich people who are giving large sums of money and saying that she is the only one here who is being generous. I firmly believe that you can give and even tithe and completely miss the mark when it comes to generosity, all right? So back to being an elite athlete, right? So I know that you are gonna be surprised by this also, is that I've spent a little bit of time in a gym, periodically, okay? Not that often, let's be honest, all right? So if I were to go to the gym every single day and I was to do the the whole selfie thing in the gym and say, all right, here I am in the gym, All right, and I'm gonna say I've gone to the gym every single day for the past three years, but during that time, I have never picked up a weight, I've never hopped on a machine, and I've never done anything that actually helps my fitness. Have Have I accomplished anything? I've checked the box of going to the gym and I've missed the point the entire time. I think this is the way that we often relate to generosity. There's often times where we'll give or we'll be a part of something, we'll do an act of generosity, but it's to check a box rather than to be truly generous. And when it comes to giving, we get too focused on the act and even on the amount. You know, One of the questions that I get asked uh, pretty regularly is uh, should I tithe on my gross or on my net income? All right, should I tithe on my gross or net income? And when we do this, we're missing the point. It's the wrong question to ask. Asking that question is simply a rephrasing of how much checks the box. How much is enough for me in this moment? How much checks the box is not a posture of generosity. And so let me be clear. The creator of the universe, who owns everything, created everything, and does not need anything is not in search of your money. He's in search of your heart. He wants your heart above your resources and when we put our resources above our heart, we're missing the point of generosity. The New Testament is full of generosity. We see in uh, the book of Acts, in Acts two, you see a generous church where people were selling their possessions and pooling them together to meet the needs of the group. And similarly in Acts four, you see where uh, there is no need among them. It says they are of one accord, they are focused and unified together, meeting one another's needs. And then in Acts 6, you see that they even appoint spirit-led leaders and a structure that helps to distribute the things that are needed to the poor and to the widow. This is the first time that you see that structure put together in order for the church to be more generous. In all of these, we see a church that is after giving everything, not meeting a minimum requirement. The local church is God's plan A for kingdom advancement. The story of signs and wonders that we see in the book of Acts is one of kingdom focused, spirit empowered saints living generously to and through the local church. There was no need for a parachurch ministry because the church was being generous. There was no need for a social program that was provided by the government because the church was generous. So what if this was our story? What if in East Texas, in our region alone, there was no one who was of need because the big C church, not just New Beginnings, but the church in our area was generous? And what if if God used New Beginnings as the catalyst to that? The people are connected to Jesus and His ever-restoring life in all of the places that we talk about where we live, where we work, and where we play, so that people's spiritual needs are being met day by day and their physical needs are being met because we are a generous church. What if New Beginnings was the catalyst to that in our region? So here's my question. Regardless of any amount that you are currently giving, Is your posture one of open-handed kingdom-focused generosity or are you more focused on the amount or act of giving? Second thing we see in this passage is that generosity is a pleasure, it's not a burden. Generosity is a pleasure, not a burden. Let's look at verse three real quick. Uh, "'For they gave according to their means, "'as I can testify and beyond their means, "'of their own accord.'" All right, of their own accord, what does this mean? They did it by choice. This was something that they wanted it to do. This was not an act of, of drudgery or out of obligation. They did it by choice because they wanted to be a part of that. Let's continue on in verse four. "'Begging us earnestly for the favor "'of taking part in the relief of the saints.'" How different is that than how we approach it today? I can tell you that I don't remember a time when I've ever walked in here and I've begged someone to be a part of something financially. I don't think I've done that. I don't know if you have, hasn't been with me, but this is definitely not how we approach it generally. Continuing on into verse five. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I love this picture, it shows that there is a joy in giving. And I think the Western church has missed this for so long. There is often a sense of obligation and burden around giving that is labeled as just another legalistic way for the church to lord over people. I've even heard people make the argument that the tithe is Old Testament law and so it doesn't apply anymore. We forget that the first tithe in Genesis was not one of obligation. In uh, Genesis 14 we see Abram who is victorious in battle And in response to the victory that he has experienced, he says that is because of the faithfulness of God and because of the faithfulness of God, I'm gonna give up one-tenth of all that I have just to say thank you to the Lord for his faithfulness. It was not an act of obligation, it was not a law, it was simply a response to the generosity that God showed him in giving him victory. So, if he gave up a tenth of his possessions in response to victory over a battle? What then is our response in gratitude to a God who has secured our eternal victory over death, hell, and the grave? I don't think this is one of those situations where we should get legalistic about how much is enough in response to that, amen? Remember, Jesus always one-upped the old covenant. You've heard it said you should not murder, but I say to you, even if you think angrily about your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. It doesn't say, well, now that we're in the new covenant, murder's fine because there's grace. He takes it a step further, right? He said, even in the midst of your anger, you are committing sin. Let's take it a step further. Further, because we want to pursue holiness as our response to God. And so, our goal should not be to simply tithe, but our goal should be to live generously. And this is the model that we see in the New Testament. Remember, in all of this, Jesus is not after your money, Jesus is after your heart. That's the heart behind. Fulfilling the law and taking it a step further is because he is after your heart, not just your reluctant cooperation. Here's the contrast in in verse 2. They were eager, they begged, and they gave themselves fully. I love the last phrase here. It says they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. I think this can illustrate that joy in giving is twofold. There is joy when we give to the Lord and that there is also exceeding joy when we are able to be generous to one another. You know, in the next chapter there in verse nine of 2 Corinthians, it points to the picture of the cheerful giver. Let's look at that real quick. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work let me remind you it does not promise that you will reap financial reward that could be the case there's certainly stories of God blessing someone financially. I think he can do that, but that's not what's promised. But what we do know that is said in this passage is that he loves a cheerful giver and that he will be sufficient in all things for his glory. I love a quote from Billy Graham. One of the things that we often see is that there's a lot of things that we could spend money on but if we do that instead of this, what is something that we forfeit? Let's look at that quote. It says, we have found in our own home that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps it to go further than the ten-tenths without his blessing. When we give, when we are generous of heart, when he has our heart and our finances, we are in his presence, we have the opportunity to experience his blessing. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a financial reward or a financial blessing, but that he is with us, and what greater blessing is there in that? It may not be that when you tithe that your financial situation changes, but what does change is your heart. Just like when we pray, God may not change the circumstance that you are in, but he regularly changes our heart, that he uses this prayer as an opportunity to realign our hearts with his will. And I believe the same is true for the tithe. When we begin to give and when we begin to be generous, our priorities and our hearts are realigned to who he is, what he has done, and how he's called us to be generous. So my question for this section is this, is Jesus the Lord of your finances? When we talk about lordship, we talk about giving everything up to the Lord. I to mean, give my, my life, I'm gonna make sure that my family is, is to the Lord, my, my resources is one of those. And so if we're withholding any one area of our lives to the Lord, that is not exhibiting lordship. He needs to be the Lord of your finances. So. What does that look like? How often in your prayer life are you asking God about your finances? And I wanna say this, it's not just that God would make your ends meet or that your, uh, your money would go longer than your month, right? It's God, what do you want to do with the resources that you've entrusted to me? What do you want me to do with these financial blessings that I have? What do you want me to do with this paycheck, small or large, for your Glory, would you lead me? Would you guide me? How often is it in your journal as you're, you're responding to God's word where you're able to say, God, it was such a blessing to be able to give so-and-so such-and-such, to be able to bless so-and-so in this way, whether it's monetary or otherwise. How are you being generous to the people around you and responding and experiencing that joy? I think sometimes we get so caught up in the act that we miss the joy that's accompanied in that. One of the things that I love is uh, walking in this room. Every time I walk in this room, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. And here's why. When we came seven years ago, this was a parking lot. Used to park right here and walk in those doors as the office. And as a church member, not a staff member, we felt compelled to give to a campaign that was called Mission 320 at the time. It was something that uh, opened the Gilmer campus. It was something that uh, worked on some remodeling and ultimately opened this room. And if I was to have you stand in this room, statistics would show us that it would probably be more than half of the room would stand up as have coming since we opened this room in 2018. It's just a it's just a reminder, the, the, the amount of money that Stephanie and I gave to this it doesn't matter. The joy is there because I get to see this room full. I get to see people who are being connected to Jesus through the ministries that are happening in here. And again, it's not about a building. It's this tool that God has entrusted to us and it's been such an incredible joy to be able to be a part of it. I find such joy in knowing that our family was able to do that, all right? The next one that I want to share with you, the next point is this. Generosity is a process, it's not a destination, all right? Generosity is a process, not a destination. Let's look at verse six together. It says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. There's a little interesting word picture that we miss in English, but this word excel right here is the same root word that we saw in abundance and overflow in the first verse that we looked at. So we see, even in this word picture, it's saying reflect what the Macedonian church showed us follow their example, excel in this area. Even in our mission, we talk about the idea of sanctification, right? Which sanctification is this big churchy word that basically says wherever you are, that day by day Jesus is bringing you closer and closer to who he is, that we are being conformed into his image over time, right? And so in our mission, when we have the term ever-restoring, we say we wanna be people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. Ever-restoring is this idea of sanctification that we have been restored, but that God is continuing to restore us and that in the midst of that restoration, we are called to be agents of restoration. It's threefold in its meaning, right? This is the picture of sanctification. And so my question for you is how has God restored you And as a result, he is restoring you and your finances. How is he restoring you in the idea of generosity? So let me be really clear. I am incredibly selfish. Anyone else? Come on, guys. I'm the only one up here? Okay, all right, I'm incredibly selfish. I have this uh, um, uh, issue that I like to call upgradeitis. Anyone else have this condition? Okay, so anytime I have something, I want the next thing, right? And then as soon as I get that thing, I want the upgraded version of that thing. It doesn't matter how great it works or how great it is, it's just the idea that I want the next thing. That's our natural position, that's our natural condition, right? We are not naturally generous people, right? Facebook Marketplace is my greatest enemy, all right? Upgrade-itis at its worst, so. God does not bless us though to make us more wealthy. He does not bless us for the purpose of letting us upgrade to the next thing. He blesses us in order that we would be more generous. The more that he entrusts to us, it doesn't lower our responsibility for generosity, it increases it. He blesses us to be a blessing. So whether it's your paycheck or your home, or your car, or the things that you are doing? How are you using those things, leveraging those things, and seeing God's glory brought about by your use of those things? God has entrusted them to you for the purpose of bringing his name glory, and so how are you being generous in the way that you are holding those things? When our financial situation changes, starting at the tithe can help keep this mindset in check. Stephanie and I have a monthly uh, budget date night, all right? If you just rolled your eyes or threw up in your mouth a little bit, I get it. (laughs) I understand, okay? But it has been an incredibly important tool uh, for us in our marriage. Side note, it's also one of the ways that I experience love, okay? Because one of my love languages is spreadsheets. And so uh, it's, uh, it's really beneficial to our marriage. In fact, the staff was making fun of me this week and they're like, so is a spreadsheet or a chart or a graph of some kind gonna make it into the sermon? Uh, joke's on you. So here is a chart real quick on the likelihood. I'm just kidding, I didn't actually make one. I thought about it. But we do a monthly budget date night, and what we do is we spend this time to reorient our hearts, our minds, and our finances onto what God has for us, all right? So this is gonna be a really practical, I hope, way that we have applied generosity and giving in our home. Giving is a three-point section in our budget. We have tithe, Offering and other giving, this is how we do it. Tithe, it's easy, it's a formula, it's 10%. For those of you who cannot let go the gross net thing, I always say tithe on your gross because we want our first fruits to go to the Lord even before Caesar, if you will, right? So we do tithe, whatever comes in is what's in that line item. It's easy, it's a number, it's a percentage. We didn't get there overnight. But what I would say is that I would challenge you to get there as quickly as you can. Because there is an incredible blessing that when you give, it's not that He increases your financial situation, but it's pretty clear that it recenters our hearts and our minds on who He is, on what He has done, and when we are holding open-handedly with things, it's amazing the way that He blesses us through that, right? The second thing in there is offering. This is our above and beyond ties. So the first is a formula. The second one is where are we being called to be generous right now, okay? Right now, that in our season as we are right now, is to next-gen right now. All right? So we are seeing. Uh, The Gilmer campus expanded with 3,600 extra square feet that include student space, kids space, an incredible outdoor area for kids to hang out and bring their friends. We saw our incredible student facility opened right back here, the mission house that's on the north side of our property, the basketball courts that are here that are being used weekly and daily for ministry and for our community to be able to use. And then if you've been on the east side of our uh, office area or east side of the hub, you'll see a giant hole in the wall where our chapel is going in, which is gonna be the home to our Spanish congregation in the coming days, as well as some offices for our expanding staff. That's where we give our above and beyond. So you'll notice our tithe and our offering are both given to and through the local church. Then we have our third area, and it's in this order. It's other giving. And this is where we give to some friends who are raising money for something. This is for uh, some family that's on the mission field. This is where we do our above and beyond giving. So we do our tithe, we do our offering, and we do our above and beyond giving. This is how we do it. And then once that is figured out and we've determined what that is, then we figure the rest of the budget out. We don't do it the other way around because it'll never work. If we figure out our needs and wants and a budget, and then we say we're gonna give what's left, it will always fall short because our hearts are not aligned to that. This is a practical tool. These are the training wheels, as I say, toward giving. Having this conversation on a monthly basis or a weekly basis or however it works in the rhythm of your family or your um, normal rhythm is important because if we don't do these types of recentering our heart, it will always drift. You've heard of vision drift. You've heard of lifestyle drift. This is financial drift. It's amazing that all of a sudden, the things that we said were important are not as important if we don't intentionally pursue them, right? This is, again, not something that's easy, natural, that we've always done well. This is something that we have to consistently reevaluate, and one of the best tools is the tithe as the training wheels for generosity. Remember, the, the idea of training wheels were to orient the bike properly so that we can get the rest managed. And that's exactly what we do with our finances. We're gonna set our tithe so that we can get the rest of our area, the rest of our finances, the rest of our budget oriented. This week I stumbled on a quote and it stepped on my toes in a significant way, uh, so I'm just gonna share it with you so that the burden of stepped toes is shared across the board, amen? All right, let's look at this quote. It's from George Bullard, it says this, tithing can also be a restrictive cap on financial discipleship. It can set up an arbitrary goal you seek to achieve and when you arrive at the tithing finish line, you declare your, rest, your race over. Now you can rest. Now you can put on your Pharisee clothes and be proud that you are not like those non-tithers. It is similar to how many who claim to follow Christ approach the 10 Commandments. They see these as something they're trying to live up to, but what if the 10 Commandments are foundational for Christians? What if they are a beginning point for a wildly grace-filled life and not the goal of a rules-based life? What if we viewed tithing in the same way? What if it is not a destination? What if tithing is the beginning point, the threshold, the doorway, the launching pad, the birth of generosity? What if we run past tithing and morph our giving pattern into a wildly generous lifestyle? The wildly generous disciple does not talk somewhere about strict definition of tithing because they never intend to stop there. They are always headed somewhere beyond the tithe. They are like the runner who glides through the tape at the finishing line looking multiple yards down the track. They are not blinded by limited vision. They have the farsightedness of a generous heart and soul that has fully surrendered. Let's continue on, the the fourth point that I wanna to say today is that generosity is a picture of love, not an act of drudgery. Let's look at verse eight, it says this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Rich. Generosity is not a command. Generosity is a response. The life that we live is in light of the life that Jesus gave for us. One of the quickest ways to recognize what you love is to look at your bank account. What are you prioritizing right now in the area of your finances? What do you find joy in spending money on? Is it yourself, guilty, or is it others? Is it on things, guilty, or is it on kingdom? Where do you find your greatest joy in investing? But what I would say in this is that we all have access to this grace that Jesus has shown us, but many of us have not truly experienced it. And so in order to respond to the generosity that God has shown us, we must have acknowledged our receipt of it. This is by having a relationship with Jesus. That the creator of the universe that we, that we sang about that is worthy of our endless praise who created all things and in all things holds them together. He gave that up in its entirety to come to earth as a baby. As I hold my Eleanor Dawn at six weeks old, I see the frailty and fragility of the posture that Jesus came to rescue us in. He lived a perfect, sinless life ultimately to end up dying on the cross. He was buried, but then on the third day he rose again, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the grave, and bringing us back to a place where we can have a relationship with him. That is the picture of generosity that we are responding to. And if you have not experienced that generosity in your life, I don't want you to leave today without getting that figured out. In a few minutes, as we sing and as we respond, um, we're gonna have some of our decision encouragers, staff and their spouses to come up and just go to them and say, I've never experienced this generosity that he talked about. I have no category for this because I've never experienced who Jesus is fully. I would encourage you to do that today because our response, just like any other act of worship, is to who he is and what he's done. So let's respond effectively. Going back to the picture of of working with James on riding his bike, we're going down the Paul Borman trail, he starts to get it, he's a little wobbly, he's doing well though, okay? And I'm running behind him, he's got one of those little bikes that has a handle on the back, so I'm running behind him, right? And he is doing well, but all of a sudden he starts to get scared. He starts to get concerned with, with all the things that are around him, he starts to look down, he starts to look around, and ultimately I'm running behind him like, I got you, bud. I've got you, keep your eyes up, keep going, keep going, you got this. And in that moment, when I was saying keep your eyes up, I sensed the Lord speak to me. This is exactly how you are. You get too worried, you get your head down, you're trying to figure out how to go forward, you get scared and you take your eyes off of me. You put your eyes down, you gotta keep your eyes up. I'm calling you in a direction. We're going someplace. I have something that's better for you than you can imagine, but if you keep your eyes down, you're gonna miss it. Keep your eyes up. In that moment, my son riding his bike taught me what generosity looks like. He's called me to live generously, to look forward, have an end in mind that I wanna see the kingdom glorified in everything that I have. Nothing is off the table in my life. That includes my finances, that includes my resources, that includes my family, and that includes everything about me. I wanna see his glory made known. Keep your eyes up. Let's pray. God, I pray that today as we respond, God, that you would draw people to salvation, that you would allow them to recognize and see the generosity that you have shown them. God, I pray that we would be convicted You don't need our money, but you want our heart, that we get to be a part of who you are. We get to be a part of what you are doing. So God, I pray that you would instill that joy of generosity into us today. Your goodness is above all. You are worthy of our act of praise. You are worthy of our words. You are worthy of our affection and you are worthy of all of our resources. Use us how you see fit, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.